I'm Dr. Nadine Gonzalez Jesus, president of San Antonio College. Today with us, we have Tanisha Payne. She's a movement artist based in San Antonio, Texas, and Mr. Caldrick Dow. He is a San Antonio-based visual artist whose work can be found in public and private art collections throughout the United States, front and center. And welcome back to Front and Center, where we talk about San Antonio College news, trends in higher education, and the community, because we are the community. Joined here this morning with San Antonio College President, Dr. Nadine Gonzalez de Jesus. Good morning. Buenos dias. Good morning. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm loving it. Doing great. I'm loving the weather. Yes. Mm-hmm. The weather means that it's telling us that spring is coming. Yes. Spring is just around the corner, right? Mm-hmm. There is hope. there is hope there's always hope in life and with that i am so excited to welcome two very very special guests with us this morning hello to tanisha Payne. how are you i'm doing great how are you i am doing great thank you and we also have with us caldrick dow how are you caldrick doing great doing good excellent excellent so miss Payne, could you tell us a bit about yourself um, yeah, I'm from originally from Jacksonville, Florida, moved to San Antonio in 2016, been here ever since creating art. Um, I'm a movement artist creating choreographing movement for musical theater colleges. I created a dance company. I like to tell people that if there's dance there, I'm there. Mm. <laughs> so whether it's teaching a class, talking about it, advocating it for it in any way. Um, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. So a movement artist. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Mr. Dow, how are you this morning? I'm great. Tell us a bit about yourself. So my name is Caldrick Dow, and I'm a visual artist slash portrait painter. Grew up in Houston originally for the first 17 years. Moved to San Antonio for the next 17 years. So, you know, you can add that up and guess how Mm -hmm. old I am. Here I started to develop, you know, culturally through the arts. I really figured out what I wanted to do. And so, you know, I started painting portraits and really, you know, working around the arts community here and, you know, advocating for African-American art. The city took note and I was able to do, you know, a sculpture with the city. And, uh, you know, it's just been great really working with different art organizations here. That's great. So so you're telling me that you do a lot of art. However, within the art that you're doing, the focus right now is on African-American art. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's always been African-American art. Only in the beginning when I was trying to figure out my style was I doing like all the popular figures like Kim Kardashian and, you know, Andy Warhol and all of these people that were popular. And now, you know, when I found my style, I'm like, this is what I want to focus on is African-Americans because we don't have really space in, in art industry. You know, you go to a museum, you don't really see that. So, you know, if I'm like, if I can dedicate my time and talent to creating images of African-Americans and put it in places like museums, then that's what I want to do. Yeah. That's interesting. I would like to hear a little bit more about your perspective as to the reason why you believe there is not a lot of space for African-American art. Historically, when you go back into different, when museums were setting up and, you know, Even right during like the segregation times, we we were segregated and we didn't have museums and we didn't have these institutions. So we weren't allowed in those spaces. And then even after, you know, segregation, it still didn't want to let us in to have art in the museum. So 
it was it was something that we really had to fight for putting people who look like us up in institutions because, you know, we want to go to museums and see people like us. That was my whole idea was that I want to be able to go to any museum in any city and see somebody like me because I know I was inspired as a kid going to a museum in Houston and seeing, you know, one portrait of Berkeley Hendrix. I don't know if anyone's heard of him, but um, he had a huge painting of a black man with an afro and you know, a pick in his head, and that really inspired me. And it, it was like, I belong here in a mm-hmm. place like this. And so that was my mission for as a fourth grader, but I didn't know how to do that. You know, I didn't have the technical skills or anything like that, but I knew I wanted to do that. I mean, that's been a mission ever since. I want to go back to what you said, but this time I'd like to hear from Ms. Payne. He wanted to see people that looked like him. And I'm wondering, in your field of dance, how many dancers have you seen that look like you? Not a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> We're growing. And even when Caldrick was talking, I was thinking of uh, just how important representation is. A few weeks ago, I was teaching a few classes here on SAC about Alvin Ailey and his legacy. And that was a part of the reason that he created Alvin Ailey Dance Theater was to show bodies dancing that looked like us. Because in the past, again, those spaces weren't for us because we were too muscular or we were too tall or the pink tights didn't work with our bodies. And so he created this space so we could be and tell our stories. I was asked last week how or when did I start dancing and how important is Alvin Ailey and the dance company in my role and what I do. And I remember being in a community college in Florida and I rented a DVD back in the day, DVD. Um, I rented a DVD of Alvin Ailey Dance Theater and I watched it over and over and over on loop because that was the first time that I had seen black dancers on stage. And within that, there was Judith uh, Jameson, who was performing, who was one of Alvin Ailey's muses. And she was a six foot tall black woman, right? So even on top of seeing black dancers, I then saw a six foot tall black woman because I am a six foot tall black woman, right? And so most ballet companies, all of the dancers have to be the same height. So I was either in the back or I was not even casted because everybody else was five, six and shorter. (laughs) Yes. So to see this is important. So when I go into schools and I'm teaching children in classrooms and dance studios, I even see it mirrored back to me when there is a little black girl in there and her eyes just light up because she had never had a black teacher before. And so it's so important to see yourselves in this space in whatever capacity. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I would say it's the same thing for me. Like when I'm doing an art exhibition and I see like a young black man go and look at it, a a boy, I'm like, that was me. And I can kind of picture what's going on in his head because that was me when I was that age, you know. And it's like, is he going to start making art as well? You know, is he, is this going to mm-hmm. start something? But you can see their gears going mm-hmm. in the same yeah. way that you said. Both of you just spoke about what it means to have representation. Representation is so important, but it even becomes more important when you're trying to rise to come up, to come up the ranks. What is the role that friendships and the networks, the mentoring have had in your life as you have risen in your fields, in your careers? I mean, art is all about networking. You Mm -hmm. know, it's really about who you know. Because I know when I started, I didn't know anybody. You know, I had just got out of school and 
I wasn't in the art networks. I had I looked in the current and I seen this one artist that I always seen in the current is Gary Sweeney. And uh, I was like, let me reach out to him and see if he can make me an artist pretty much because I didn't know that's how it it didn't work like that. But, um, you know, he took me out and he showed me Blue Star and he showed me, you know, he let me work in his workshop with all of these paints and different things. And, um, you know, pretty much his biggest thing was you need to make connections. You know, you need to meet these people at Blue Star. You need to show people your work. And then from there, they'll say, hey, we have this opportunity and we see this artist that does it. And so that was important. The connections was important. Like right now, I'm trying to do work in other cities. So I don't have anybody reaching out to say we have a show in Austin, we have a show in Dallas or in Houston because I don't have any connections there, no network. So I have to go out to those cities. And, of course, we have social media that I could reach out. Oh, there's a gallery in, um, you know, Houston that I'm going to reach out to. But if they don't know you personally, they're not going to say they're not going to pick you over another artist that they know, you know. So you really have to go out and do the work to meet these people, you know, and make those connections. How about you, Miss Payne? Echoing all of that, um, making connections and telling your story. Um, meeting people and having that personal connection with them, I think, I believe helps you, gets you in the space. So there has been times where it's like, oh, well, we've heard that there's dance or we've seen dance. We understand it's movement. Yay. Great. Um, and then when I go in and meet people and we have this connection and I'm able to tell my story, they become more interested and more intrigued and then they want to see more of it. So again, making those connections and being comfortable speaking about what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. About two years ago, if you would have asked me to do this podcast, I would have said, mm-hmm. absolutely not. <laughs> and I'm like, words are hard. Um, but I could dance this interview yes. if, you wanted, <laughs> if you wanted me to. Um, so just being able to speak about your work um, and being comfortable in that vulnerable space. Because what we do as artists, it's we're putting our heart out there, right? And right. for someone... And it's subjective, right? For someone to come back and say, oh, we didn't like that or this wasn't good right, enough. Right. And so just being able to be in that space and then being around other artists and seeing them do it and helping you make those connections is very important. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. You talked about how you put your heart out there. Mm-hmm. I think that goes with every job, right? Mm-hmm. Every role we have in life as mothers, as wives, as husbands, as workers, we put our hearts out there. And my question to you is, how do you take care of yourselves when the critics come after you? Because I'm sure as artists, you've had your critics, right? Mm. Some of them are nice and some of them might not be so nice. How do you take care of yourself? I try my hardest not to tune into that. Like, yes, I know they're going to post it. Again, it's subjective, so people are going to say what they're going to say. But knowing that it came, the work that I'm creating came from an authentic place and it's my experience, no one else has that perspective. And so that's one, that's something that I try to share with younger artists is it's your story. It didn't happen to anyone else. And so how you colored it, how you flavored it, how you danced it, it's true. It's your truth. And so putting it out there. So remembering that is um, one of those things that allows me to keep going. Um, and then also just hearing you say, that being a mother is a role, that's something else. So hanging out with my kids and my family and just tapping back into that part of my life, knowing that I am setting an example 
particularly, I mean, for all of my children, right? But particularly for my daughter, uh, a younger black female growing up in this world that sometimes tells us we can and cannot do things. So that's also a source of motivation. That's Mm -hmm. wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for that. Mr. Dow, how do you deal with the critics around you? So criticism is some things that, like some artists can't stand criticism. Or, I mean, some people don't even create because they're afraid of the criticism, Mm -hmm. you know. And it's like you really can't let that stop you, what other people are going to think about what you do. You can't let that stop you from creating, right? And and a lot of people do, you know. But for me, my idea is always, you know, you— Live by the hoorays, you die by the booze, you know. So it's like you can't get too, like, you know, even when everybody's applauding you and everything, you kind of have to take that with the same level of what if everybody was booing me? What, mm-hmm. How would I feel, you know? So mm-hmm. you kind of have to stay stable within, you know, either the applause or the booze because I've I've done commissions where, you know, people, you know, love my work and then they'll say, well, I don't really like the way it came out. And then they start critiquing it, and I'm like, mm, okay, never working with this one again, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, I know that that doesn't take value away from mm-hmm. what I do, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, they just didn't merge with it. But, you know, that's maybe two out of 100, you know. So it's it's like staying stable within the criticism and everything. But, I mean, a lot of times as with critiques, we need those critiques. But with artists, we actually set up critiques to put our artwork in front of other artists and have, you know, a breakdown of what's good, what can be worked on. So, you know, coming from that mindset is like, okay, well, that person didn't like it, but maybe they didn't express why they didn't like it. You know, it's usually regular people who's not an artist that just say, we don't like it, you know, and it's like... Uh, but why? You know, mm-hmm. uh, so, I mean, you know, if they're not able to articulate that, it's like, OK, well, they're not really in the realm. So you kind of got to take it with a grain of salt. Out of all of the works of art that you have done, what is the one that you can say, I am so in love with this work of art that I created? So that's a good question, actually, because it's like saying, which one is your favorite kid? And <laughs> in, in what year They're was all that? They're all my favorite, right? Right, <laughs> right. Ask me question. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm like, oh man, because you know what? Like every every year, I feel like I create a piece that I'm so in love with. You know, and um, you know, the next year, or if I'm working on a new series, I love it, and I say, this is my masterpiece. This is my statement piece. You know, is one I'm so in love with. And next year, I'll make one that's even better. You know, and then I have some misses. I'm like, oh, this isn't too great. You know, but there is one. You know, a couple that I'm like. This is great. Like for when I was doing the Black on Black series, when I first found my style, um, but but after I was copying, because as an artist, you're copying everybody's work. And and I was just copying everybody's work when I first started because I didn't know what to do. And then I found my style. So the first one was a Black on Black series and it was a self-portrait. And um, that one like was a statement piece for me because I figured out my style. Right. And and so I really love that piece till today. And, uh, and it's, it's in somebody else's house outside of San Antonio, but I still have pictures and, like, reminisce on, you know, the image. But, you know, I think uh, every series I really make a piece that um, is, like, my favorite, you know. 
That's great. So, so you basically you fell in love with yourself. <laughs> it's so pretty much, pretty much, is <laughs> that pretty much. That's wonderful. Um, but then it wasn't just yourself; it was the technique of absolutely, it. it was the absolutely, absolutely. But basically, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, Miss Payne. Tell us a bit about some of the work that you've done. If if there was one that you can say, this really spoke to my heart, or I really put my heart out there, what would it be? So a couple of years ago, I created a work called Disruptor, um, and it's spelled D-I-S-R-U-P-T, and then capital H-E-R. Just a piece about feminism and standing up against or living within the dichotomies of the world telling us, for example, you're too thin. Oh, you need to eat some more. Mm, <laughs> Why right. are you so serious? Or you're not smiling enough, right? So it's yes. like how they, all the different things. And so living within that world was the inspiration of this piece, not shaving your legs or they shave too much. Like, it's just like, there's always something coming out that you're not doing something good enough or you're doing it too great. And so it's like, what mm-hmm. am I supposed to do? <laughs> so I created this piece. Uh, originally, it pre- premiered in 2019. And it's a little different for me as a movement artist because different movers come in and perform these works. And something that I love a lot about performance art is that the people performing it also put their layer on top of it. So that piece isn't going to look the same. Right. Each time that we see it, there's a different experience that's dancing this piece. And so it evolves a little bit each time you see it. And so this is one of those pieces where every time I see it and it's cast with four or five women and we each have a different experience um, and where we lie on that spectrum of feminism. It is just one of those pieces that like hits me in the gut every time I see it, whether I'm dancing in it or whether I'm watching it. And there's something else that I I always try to incorporate an element of improvisation within the pieces. So it also allows their voice to be within the work also. And so just seeing what people do in those spaces where they can just be themselves and create, it's beautiful. (laughs) And so that's one of those pieces where I'm like, okay, this is a staple that'll be with me for a while. Um, Yes. So you spoke about their voice. Mm How do you allow your voice to be heard through dance? I am a firm believer that as humans, our first language is movement, right? So just, for example, with my children, before they can speak, they're already communicating with their bodies, right? Mm -hmm. Or even body language as adults. When you see someone with their posture a little hung, Mm -hmm. you know that something is happening. If someone's doing a deep sigh, their body is already expressing this to you. And so allowing ourselves to really lean into that and maybe exaggerate it a bit, emphasize a certain movement, we're already having our voice without the words being spoken. Mm -hmm. And so allowing a space for people to feel safe enough to be vulnerable and talk about those feelings, whether with words or with movement, is how I create a space or sorry, create their voice or allow their voice to be within the movement. And it takes time because it takes trust. It, I know lots of people tell me, well, I don't dance because I'm too insecure. I don't want people to see me move in that way. And so just being in a space and moving your bodies, listening, really deep listening in those areas allows for that to happen. How do you, I'm curious, how do you choose the music? It depends on the project. Um, 
So our most recent, so I created a company about a year ago. It's called Somerset Movement. And our most recent collaboration was with Agarita, the chamber music group here in San Antonio. And for that collaboration, Daniel selected the music and then he sent me a list and was like, which one of these speak to you? (laughs) And so I was like, okay. So I went through and picked about seven of them that really spoke to me. And then we kept narrowing it down and tweaking I like to just put on music and see if my body starts moving. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the scientific answer. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> sometimes you hear something, and this is for all of us. We hear a piece of music, whether our toe starts tapping or it makes butterflies happen or we hear chills or goosebumps happen. That's when you know. That's the one. So mm. next time that happens to you, you're like, oh, I need to dance to this, and I'll be here to watch. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because I'm not I'm not a dancer at all, but I do get that urge when I hear music. See? I get that tap in my foot, and I'm like, okay. Do Do that. you dance while you paint? I I Have maybe do it? a two step every like if the painting's really good, yes. then I may do like a little two step. <laughs> you're really feeling it. When you're, I'm really you're like, in the zone. this is yeah. working. Yes. yes. Well, but do you put any music on while you I do. You're I listen to music. Um, Which type of music? Just hip hop mostly, uh-huh. um, either J. Cole or Kendrick, yeah. and that's that's it, you know. And I'll listen and I'll match my paint strokes with the music, and so I mean that's a dance in that's a way. A dance. But you know what? I think I fight <laughs> my dance to urge. Like something in me is like, don't do it, don't don't do it. You know, I don't know what it is. I got to get over that. But I like watching people dance. See. You know? I'm gonna, we're going to do a collaboration, y'all. <laughs> yes, you heard I it like here that. first. That's right. <laughs> That'll break me out into dance. <laughs> so, so I would like to find out more about what are some of the plans that you have for the rest of this year. So uh, the company is doing a performance. We're performing in the San Antonio Dance Festival. April 20th, we'll be uh, showing or revisiting a work that we did earlier in January that premiered then. I am also developing, I received an individual artist grant from the city. So I'm also working on a piece that is, it's 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 a lot, <laughs> but it's uh, made up of three different vignettes. And so the first one is going to explore the sit-ins that happen at the Woolworth downtown here in San Antonio in the 60s. And then the second vignette is going to examine modern day versions of that um, where we still aren't allowed to do certain things, even though they say that we are. Hmm. Um, so it's going to explore that. And then the last section um, that I'm developing is going to be based on the concept of visionary fiction and that everything in the world at some point was fiction, right? It was a thought. It was an idea and some sort of inspiration that didn't exist until that one person took that step to put it into real life. So examining that concept of how we can envision the world that we want to create or we want to see. (laughs) I had a question for you. I was listening to you and I was like, oh, that's like finishing an art piece. Like, what would you say is finishing like a piece for you? Is it like concluding a choreograph that you're going to give these people to dance to? Yeah, it depends. So I've been brought in to set a work on a company or Yeah, a company or a group of dancers. Um, And in that time, I have strict parameters where it has to be this long to this song and this many dancers. Within the company, though, the work for me keeps evolving. There are some pieces. I was Camille Brown. She came to San Antonio a couple of years ago and she did a piece recently and she's been working on it. I believe she said for nine years. 
So mm. each time, because like again, when those new bodies come in or a new experience happens, you just tweak it a little mm. bit. Even thinking about in your art form, I'm like, oh, when you put it there, it stays. Mm. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's done. It's, it's, done. it's done. And so I'm like having anxiety for you. <laughs> <laughs> because we still have that ability to change it. Right before we go on stage, gotcha. right? We're like, oh, let's change that right now because this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes me a little anxious just thinking like how. Uh, so, yeah, it keeps growing. It keeps evolving gotcha. up until that last moment. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I have going on, I have an exhibition at SAC up until the end of the month uh, in the library, the Moody Center. The biggest things is I'm having an exhibition at um, Eye of the Beholder Gallery in July. And then I'm having a big, probably one of my biggest shows as far as space goes at um, the Central Library in December. So, you know, I have to get on creating a lot of work. That's a lot of space to fill. So, yeah, looking forward to that. So if folks wanted to get in touch with you, they would need to get in touch with you through your Facebook page, which is? Caldrick Dow. So just K-A-L-D-R-I-C Dow, D-O-W. And then it's the same thing on Instagram, uh, except it's Caldrick Design Dow. Excellent. And then for Ms. Payne, how can we get in touch with you? Yeah, on Instagram, it's Tanisha underscore Payne. So that's T-A-N-E-S-H-A. Last name is Payne, P-A-Y-N-E. And on Facebook, Tanisha Payne, no underscore, just a space. And the company also is on both of those platforms under Somerset Movement. That's S-U-M-R-S-E-T Movement. Excellent. Or you can also go to KSYM.org and go to our link for our podcast front and center, and we will have their contact information there. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to have you this morning. Yes, thanks yeah, for having us. It's been us. great. I enjoy radio now. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. Yay. <laughs> this is Front and Center, recorded at the KSYM studios on the San Antonio College campus. Front and Center is available on Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and airs Monday mornings at 8.30 on KSYM 90.1 FM in San Antonio. More information on Front and Center is online at ksym.org.